One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Dairy Gold Agri, your solution to all your farm needs. Welcome to our programme. I'm John O'Connor. Coming up, Kieran Collins, a Chagask tillage specialist on some important meetings. Phelim O'Neill, international market specialist with the Irish Farmers Journal based in Brussels, looks at the beef price survey carried out in the February 8th issue of the Irish Farmers Journal. But first, beef plan cork announcement. Beef Plan Cork Secretary Ms Helena Sullivan has advised that the Beef Plan AGM elections are taking place on Thursday, 13th of February at 8pm in Cool Car House, McCroom, Aircode P12E135. Listeners may email nominations to beefplancork at gmail.com, all lowercase, or text or WhatsApp to 083 370-5763. That's 083-370-5763. That's before Tuesday, 11th of February, 12 noon. February 13th will also be a Beef Plan Information Night to discuss the current situation and how things are at the moment. Next, ploughing. Richard White, PRO for the Cork West Ploughing Association. Well, I understand, Richard, no results uh, this weekend, but on the other hand, you have a look back at why the ploughing was cancelled last weekend. Yeah, thank you, John. Uh, last weekend, um, uh, the forecast for the ploughmatch, Camorra ploughmatch, they didn't go ahead. They called off on the Saturday because the, the forecast for Sunday and Sunday morning uh, was not good, and, and I think they were wise in that decision. It was it would have been a very um, unsatisfactory day with very very poor ground conditions and uh, not very pleasant for people ploughing. So uh, it didn't it didn't go ahead on, on last Sunday at Camor. Uh, this weekend, um, Tim League plough match is is pencilled in to take place this weekend. But um, you'd have to be very optimistic things that it can go ahead. It's still it's um, no decision has been taken yet uh, whether to go ahead or not. So the um, They'd like the entries being on today, Saturday, at, uh, at 8 o'clock. It's being held in, in Barry's Hall, on the lands of Colin Bateman. And um, uh, the usual rules uh, apply, I suppose, starting at half 11 with the draw for banks at, at half past 10. And the uh, entries on today, Saturday, to Kieran at 087-616-5600. That's 087-616-5600. But... Um, very much weather related and uh, it's 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 not looking it's not looking great that it will be able to go ahead so a decision will be taken out probably during the day today like so uh, that's the that's the update but i suppose we've we've had a good run uh, january went very well and four player matches took place and there's just four four more to go like and it's, it's midway in the program so um the weather seems to be giving us a little bit of a break at the moment and uh but uh, Tim League is, is, is on for tomorrow, but uh, very much weather permitting, let's say. 
keep in touch with the, the radio and see what's, what's happening on the ground. Thank you very much indeed, Mr Richard White, PRO, Cork West Ploughing Association. Thank you, Richard, very much. Yeah, thank you very much, John. Coming up next in our programme, Kieran Collins, tillage specialist with Chagas, looks at sowing delays and pesticide challenges. Also details regarding a number of forthcoming meetings and education courses. Joining us on the Dairy Gold Farm Talk programme, we have Mr. Kieran Collins, tillage specialist with Chagask. First of all, Kieran, welcome to the programme. Now, before we look at uh, spring crops and uh, management, etc., could you please outline to our listeners any upcoming events or courses or any event which you feel would be of interest to, uh, I suppose, crop people in particular, but uh, any farming sector? Yeah, John, there's, there's a big crop event on next week, but I have also, um, in West Cork, there's a part-time green cert um, enrolment stroke information night in McCroom on, um, that's Tuesday the 11th, and that's from 6 to 7. And actually also on Tuesday, there's a beef seminar in the Silver Springs uh, in Cork there, that's Tuesday the 11th, and that starts at 7.30. So, um, and then thirdly, I suppose the one that I'm connected with then, we have a winter crop walk in Ballyderone in Fomoy. That's the department farm there. It's a kind of an annual event we always have at this at this week every year. So it's a crop walk and we'll essentially be looking at the management of the autumn sown crops, John. Starts at 11, 11 o'clock. Now, how has the difficult autumn affected sowing? In kind of sharp contrast, the previous year, I mean, October 19 and October would be the key month in terms of sowing, you know, winter cereals. It was very difficult this year, you know. Uh, we didn't kind of get two or three days together. And as a consequence, the area is is reduced. Um, a survey that we did in Chagas in, in early November would suggest that the winter cereal area was actually down by about 50% on the previous year. Now, I think locally it wouldn't quite be as bad as that, but certainly, you know, there are a lot less winter crops in the ground. And I suppose secondly then, some of those that were sown were sown under difficult conditions, you know, and we did have a lot of rain since they were sown. So some of those crops are just as good as we would like coming into the spring. So I suppose that brings its own challenges. And I suppose there are some of the things we'll be addressing at the farm, at the crop walk next week, but it's just the management of those winter crops, you know, a lot of them, you know, would have suboptimal plant counts and that. So it's kind of trying to deal with these and, and trying to, to maximise the yield of those crops, I suppose, John, would be the would be the big part of it. And uh, like, and I suppose there are some consequences then as well to the reduced area in, in the sense that obviously you're going to have, you know, a higher amount of spring crops to be sown. So there's a workload thing there in terms of in the spring getting them sown. But also that runs into harvest if you have a lot more of one crop, say, like spring barley than you'd normally have. So there's a bit of an issue there. And I suppose that kind of feeds into straw as well, because when you know when you have a lot less winter barley and that's replaced with spring barley, you know, there wouldn't be as much straw from spring barley. So I suppose that's that's a, another another thing. And I suppose financially even, because, you know, our Chagas profit monitors would show that the likes of winter wheat and winter barley would be more profitable, say, than spring barley. So again, there's 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 some some consequences in in, in that area as well, John. You know. To recap and elaborate on spring crop options, which are there for people, bearing in mind the kind of autumn we've had and current conditions. 
Yeah, I, I suppose uh, current conditions is, is, is a good way to start, John, because, you know, p- some people, you know, would have liked to try to get beans in early in particular or maybe the likes of, of spring wheat. Now, there still is plenty of time, but, you know, ground is, is, is obviously still wet at the moment, so that's delaying things a little bit. But I suppose the other thing about the spring crop options, because, you know, the, the area wasn't sown in the autumn and, you know, the seed trade couldn't have predicted this, so seed will be, will be scarce. You know, like beans, for argument's sake, would be a very good option for farmers because they're a good break crop. You know, dairy gold came out recently with a good forward price of of, of 205 euros. And there's also a a protein payment there from the department. Now, last year, farmers got 365 euros a hectare, you know. So, like, beans would be a good option. But the problem is, as I've said, seed would be scarce, you know. Um, so again, if somebody's thinking of growing beans, they are a very good option, but you certainly would need to, to be putting your name on, on seed soon enough. And then you'll have you'll have some spring wheat, you'll have some spring oats as well. But spring barley will be the will be the big crop. You know, I think nationally we had about ninety one thousand hectares last year. You're probably facing north of one hundred and twenty five thousand hectares this year. So again, the seed situation thing will be will be tight enough. You know, and I suppose again on the spring barley. You know, there are opportunities out there as well, maybe to grow malting barley. And I suppose look, some, anything that adds a bit of value to the bottom line should be considered if, if, if you are growing um, spring barley, you know. This three-crop rule, the crop diversification, a lot of farmers saw this as a burden, but by and large they've been complying with it, except in some circumstances it's proved to be extremely difficult. The department have relaxed the three-crop rule. What would some of the more uh, obvious exemptions be? The three-crop rule or crop diversification, as, as it's known as, um, you know, depending on the area of arable crops, tillage farmers would have to grow two or three crops, you know, in, in, in different ratios. Um, in 2018, if you remember, we had a very late spring and, and there was that, that rule was, was, was relaxed that year. So in kind of response to the, to the autumn sowing figures, the department had an announcement recently where there'll be a relaxation, as you say, of the crop diversification. Now, the, 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 main, the main, I suppose, criteria is that you would have had to have winter cereals on your application last year. So that would be the first thing. Or have had some, uh, the likes of potatoes or maize, maybe that may not have uh, uh, been harvested in time to allow you know, some winter crops to be sown. So the department tell us that they're going to assess us on a case-by-case basis and that you'll apply for this derogation when you're doing your, your BPS application. Now, I suppose we are awaiting kind of further details, but, you know, if somebody didn't get their crops sown last autumn and they are in trouble with the crop diversification, you know, it is worth to call to your advisor or just to look it up just to see what your situation will be because I think, you know, there certainly will be, um, there certainly will, will, will be ways around it, I suppose. Increasingly, the use of chemicals, the banning of certain chemicals, and when it comes to tillage, one very important chemical is either under a ban or will be banned soon. And of course, for years and years, we've had a cloud hanging over glyphosate, but still not banned outright throughout the European Union. So just a word or two about the use of chemicals and one or two chemicals which we now know are banned or will be banned soon and people shouldn't be buying in quantities of them. A general comment on chemicals and the burden this is placing on tillage farmers who become used 
to these fungicides and insecticides and pesticides, which guaranteed, uh, insofar as they could, ruling out weather, a good crop. But uh, the, the use of chemicals. Yeah, I suppose, you know, it, it is becoming increasingly difficult to get products re-registered. So, you know, products are registered for a period of time, then they come up for re-registration. And, and then, I suppose, a lot of our current chemistry um, would, would be struggling to get over the line. I suppose the, the, the kind of big one that farmers will will notice this year is Chlortalinil, um, or Bravo would be a common trade name. That would have been a, it's a multi-site, it would have been widely used in terms of as an anti-resistance strategy, particularly with septorian wheat. But more, more importantly, nearly in our area is uh, the control of Romalaria in barley, both winter and spring. So the use update this for, for this year is the 20th of May. So, you know, you need to get stocks onto your farm by the end of March and then uh, you have up until the 20th of May to use it. So there are a number, as, as you say, John, um, going off the market this year, but I suppose the Chlortalinol or the, as more commonly known, Bravo 500, would probably be the, be the biggest one and the one that people would need to maybe keep an eye on. Details of those courses you mentioned at the start of our conversation and the very important upcoming events for people who want to go along and discuss questions about tillage, of all aspects of tillage. Mm, yeah, I'll start with the, the crop walk, I suppose. That's the, the big one for us in the, in the tillage sector. That's on next uh, Wednesday, um, next Wednesday tw- the 12th in Ballyderown and the department farm there in Ballyderown in Fnoy and that starts at 11 o'clock. And as I say, we'll be covering the agronomy of the, those autumn-sown crops. And then there's a part-time Green Cert course uh, information night in Chagas McCroom on Tuesday the 11th from 6 to 7. And then there's a Chagas Beef Seminar Tuesday the 11th as well, actually, at 7.30pm in the Silver Springs in Cork. Now, this annual event in, in Ballet Round, would you please confirm this big event, when and where it's taking place, and very importantly, of course, the location and the time it starts. Yeah, John, that's the, the winter crop walk taking place on the Department of Agriculture farm, Ballied Around, uh, Fromoy. And that's on Wednesday the 12th at 11am, where we'll be discussing the management of these autumn sown crops after, I suppose, a difficult winter. That's fine. Thank you very much indeed, Mr. Kieran Collins, tillage specialist with Chagas. Thank you, Kieran, very much well, indeed. Thanks, John. In the February 8th, 2020 issue of the Irish Farmers' Journal, it's being pointed out in graphs and analysis tables that Irish farmers could gain or lose €40 Euro to €150 Euro per head when choosing which factory to sell their cattle to. With more on this four-page spread in the journal, Mr Fellam O'Neill, International Market Specialist based mostly in Brussels. Fellam, welcome to the programme. Now, a huge differential there. Hello, John. Nice to be back in the programme. I suppose every week in the Farmer's Journal, we publish the prices that are paid uh, for all of the main factories that slaughter cattle across the Republic of Ireland. Uh, 26 factories in total that are price report. And uh, we put put out a table every week. But once a year, we kind of do an in-depth study of the factories to find out, I suppose, on an annual basis, right, well, which is top, which is bottom, and and everyone else is in between. Um, 
And I suppose what the exercise revealed to us, you know, at the extreme end, that there's a difference of up to €150 a head between the highest paying factory for one class of cattle and the lowest paying factory in one class of cattle. Now, I suppose the word of warning, and we always hear about statistics and dam license statistics, um, the extreme end or the price extreme differences are very often caused by things like, for example, some factories don't want cows or some factories don't want young bulls. And as they finish up getting a handful of those over the course of the year, they're likely to pay a very, very low price. Uh, but I suppose the one that's the real example, and, and we would have you look at if you look at the R3 heifer and the R3 steer grade, there's a difference there of 15 and 17 cent per kilo between the top and bottom. And that works into somewhere around between 40 and 60 euro a head on the most popular grade of cattle. So I suppose the message out of this is that the farmers should look at these tables on a weekly basis and at very least look at this annual uh, amalgamation of those tables and I suppose try and make sure that they match the cattle that they have to sell with the factory that's paying the most money. Now, again, I suppose why do some factories pay more money than others? Quite simply, some would have much more demanding specifications. And a good example to use at the minute is the, is the case of factories that want to supply beef to China. Any, fa- any beef that goes to China must be from cattle under 30 months. So you will find, and, and even within the big groups particularly, I'm thinking of the Dons, the Key Packs, and the uh, uh, ABPs, all of whom have, have uh, uh, factories across Munster indeed, as well as in County Cork, uh, they will dedicate particular factories to do particular things and particular jobs, and that's, I suppose, for the efficiency purpose of it. So you will find that the factories very often that are paying at the very top of those tables are the ones that will be very demanding on a 30-month age limit, will have very often a weight limit in place, will very often uh, have a residency's uh, maximum in place. And uh, if you're a farmer and you press all the specification buttons, well, those are the factories that you should be looking towards to sell your cattle in. And similarly, on the other side of the coin, if you're not quality assured, if your cattle are maybe over 30 months, uh, if you don't meet the specification buttons, well, then actually it can't be worth your while looking at some of the smaller factors the, the more, the, the le- that aren't part of the big groups that may, on the face of it, look to be paying a poorer price towards the bottom of the table. But sometimes those can be the ble- best places to cal- sell cattle that the, the other factors would consider that don't meet their specifications. So it's very much a case of, and at the risk of mixing our metaphors, horses for courses in this case. The secret is get your cattle into a factory that's paying the most for the type of cattle that you have to, to get the best value out of them. You're saying there, Phelan, that within the larger groups, as you point out, there's an ever-increasing tendency to dedicate specific factories to specific types of cattle. And if you can supply that need, and if it uh, helps your enterprise supply that need, well, that's where you're going to get the best price. And you give a very clear illustration of that for the various uh, grades uh, match up uh, what you're producing to where you'll get the biggest price for it. It's at a glance, type of tables, etc. Very convenient. You point the price range by category. That's right. By we, we took basically four different grades out of steers, heifers, young bulls and cows. And maybe just to illustrate the point of, of particular cattle for particular factories, if you look, for example, the, the biggest difference and the, and, the, and the biggest winner, and we'll just pull out one example uh, of uh, on, on the on the young bull category, uh, where ABP and Banton are number one place in that table uh, for the best paying for U equals three equals young bulls. 
But if you just go straight below that to the cows, and, and for the, there's very few U equals three equals cows, but in that category of cattle, it's like ABP are at the bottom of that table. So what can be best in one class can be worse than another. It's the real extreme example that, that illustrates that point best. But we have taken there, as I say, four different grades, U equals three equals, R equals three equals, O equals three equals, and P plus three equals across steers, heifers, and young bulls. Uh, we have used uh, on, on cows, uh, same, although uh, we, we use that for the same as well, four different grades from each sector. And it gives us 16 tables. It's not every possibility explored, but it, co- it crosses. That's, that's what covers the main bulk of cattle that are sold to Irish factories. Uh, and it gives a good indication, I think, of where the best value is to be got for each class. The tables are based on prices paid to farmers every week for all cattle bought in 2019. That, that's correct. I suppose there's a couple of other things I would draw attention to as well, John, when, when we are talking on it. Um, we, we would have looked at, and this wasn't something we set out to discover, but we did discover we always uh, do a comparison for the year on Irish prices, prices across the grades uh, compared with the EU average. And something that we discovered in 2019 compared with 2018, in the last three or four months of the year, Irish prices dropped much further below the EU average in 2019 than they did in 2018. So I think for us, that is a very clear indication that the cost of the factory protests uh, over the summer months and into the autumn indeed, uh, that farmers were the people that picked up the cost of that. And if we do think back to that time, and and we were talking about it then, uh, you know, there was a huge issue with farmers getting caught with cattle that were going over 30 months or over 16 months indeed in the case of young bulls uh, and that was devaluing cattle by the day so I think that the harsh and sad reality look farmers went out protesting last summer because of poor beef beef prices Um, the sad fact is that it was actually farmers that paid the cost of those protests in the later part of the year and I suppose another thing jumped out at us as we done the comparison between 2019 and 18, and, and this is in an overall context again, not for any individual factory in particular, uh, but the Irish price for young bulls in 2019 was up to 40 cents per kilo below the average, the EU average price, uh, more than double the previous year. Uh, and I think from that we took very much the signal that 2019 was the year that factories would have sent the message to Irish farmers that they simply weren't particularly interested in young bulls, such was the fair price that was paid for them. Uh, I suppose there were t- those are two little uh, uh, additions to the, the factory leagues exercise that we've been doing this week in the journal. You have a detailed analysis, at a glance analysis of factory prices uh, for, for young bulls and cows, separate details given, and also in your comment section, specifications which are dictating price and a huge category, you say, for Irish beef is supplying burger chains, which drives the cow trade. Very much, and, and it's the companies, uh, particularly Don Meats, I suppose, with their huge McDonald contracts, comes to immediately to mind there. And it's no coincidence that when you look at the at the cow prices, and we do a little summary uh, graph, uh, bar graph for for each category as to who which of the groups look the, the strongest in each category, and you see that Don features prominently in the cows more so than they do in the other categories. Um, I suppose we're you know we're we're entering a new decade this year, and uh, I went back and went through the the journal archive to the start of the last decade and at that stage we had the introduction of the then QPS and the really the first time that cattle were bought on the grade in Irish factories in any major way uh, prior to that been an awful lot of flat rate pricing of cattle uh, there's still an element of flat rate pricing out there and there's some factories have their own variations to the grade but I think the, the grid is now pretty well established 
But uh, if that was the story of this decade, I think the new decade that we're going into now, we are going to see specifications become a bigger and bigger issue in the terms of getting the most value into cattle that are going through the factory. And, you know, I suppose the, the beef industry is uh, is many ways the last that are that are into this category. If you look at pigs and if you look at uh, milk and dairy in particular, you can see farmers are paid there. Butterfat is the, is a big measurement and the important thing uh, as opposed to yield. So I think you're going to see increasingly it'll be the specification points that shape the price that farmers get for cattle in the decade ahead. And here, I suppose, the bit that frustrates farmers the most, you know, is the lack of consistency in it. You will find that whenever cattle are plentiful, factories tend to be very strict on specifications. And when you go in a period then, whenever cattle are scarce, or factories can be very flexible on specs and, and not properly reward them at all. So I think at a, at a strategic level, the Irish beef industry desperately needs a blueprint to say that, look, this is the way that we need to go, the direction we need to travel. And if that is the direction, well, then farmers that are doing the, the, the most work in terms of delivering the highest value cattle for the marketplace need to be rewarded for it. And it needs to be a consistent thing, not something that comes and goes at a whim. Are we moving towards greater transparency? We've heard there some weeks ago now about the Board B price index, etc. And of course, all those farmers who took part in the various demonstrations, the factory gate demonstrations. To be clear on that, I think the reality of life is when you look at the comparison with the EU average, uh, there's no doubt that the cost of the factory protests finished up in the, at the farmers uh, the, that had cattle killed then in October, November and December. Uh, that's the sad reality. In terms of the transparency debate and, and different working groups, I, I think that's something that th- those are issues that don't deliver overnight. I know the Board BIA have managed to get a beef price index up and running and they've been in place now since September. Uh, and they have a much better, this thing called a composite price average, get, comparing Irish prices with what's paid in the main European markets that we export to. So I think those are welcome first steps on the road to achieving transparency. But in terms of full transparency and factory performance, factory profitability, how much they're earning from the cattle that Irish farmers deliver to factories on a weekly basis, I think we've still quite a direction to travel in that. And I think it's something, I suppose, and even in the editorial in the Farmers Journal this week, you know, our editor would have touched on it, that, you know, any future schemes that are coming in by way of support and investment in our factories through government uh, through EU funding, that that should be a condition that's added into them. Uh, and and I think that's something uh, that can help. You know, the reality of life is if there's a bad uh, European or global market trade and the prices are poor, then uh, it doesn't necessarily mean that farmers, uh, that doesn't, it won't put any more money in their pockets. But if they can have a clear insight as to what is going on at the marketplace after they drop their cattle off and before they appear on the supermarket shelf or in a restaurant menu somewhere, then I think, you know, the knowledge and the understanding that that brings, as I say, it doesn't put money in the bank. But if it increases farmer understanding, I think that's a step forward in building confidence because there's no doubt about it, uh, 2019 was seen a serious breakdown in that relationship and a breakdown of confidence in farmers uh, with the factories that they supply. And ultimately, at the end of the day, they depend on each other. You know, factories cannot operate without farmers delivering cattle. And the reality of life is that farmers need a factory to take cattle to, to to get them processed and to get the value out of them. So, you know, there's a mutually dependent relationship there. And whatever can be done to build confidence in that relationship in the time ahead for good times and bad, I think is something that every Everybody should encourage and indeed welcome. Something very important, of course, we know 
the UK has just left the EU within the last few days. What will happen when Brexit uh, starts to bite? Will we be facing WTO rules with tariffs? There probably will be a breathing space, a period of grace, before the UK decides whether or not to go along with the EU negotiations or simply reject everything and go for a no-deal thing. Looking at one of the headlines there in Tuesday, February 4th edition of the English Times, Johnson rejects fears about US food as, quote, mumbo-jumbo. So I suppose the WTO rules, if they come in, you know, we we could be negotiating and and chatting now in a vacuum. Yes, uh, indeed, John. Brexit is something you and I have talked about several times. Uh, It eventually happened last Friday night. But of course, and and I think as we have said in the the Farmer's Journal, it was a case of all change, but no change, because... uh, the UK has went into this transition period now that will run at least until the end of this year while they try to negotiate the terms of future trade between the EU27 and the UK. Uh, there is an option to extend that for a year or two. Uh, UK have said they're not taking that up, that they're going to be gone this time next year, full stop, deal or no deal. Uh, and again, you're, you're right, if it's a no-deal situation, well then trade can continue just as it does today between Ireland and Australia and Ireland and countless other countries around the world where there's no trade deal. The fallback position is under World Trade Organization terms. That is the basis for global trade. And any variation from that is negotiated trade deals with us between uh, the European Union, Mercosur, European Union, Japan, European Union, Canada, uh, and indeed Japan and the United States, like there are different trade deals around the world. UK now is trying to get one of those in place with both the European Union and the United States. The difficulty is that the United States have different production standards from the European Union. Uh, we're not saying that those are wrong or different in any way. In fact, um, the, you know, they're, they're based, as they say, on science, and science says there's no reason why you can't use hormones, you can't use chlorine to wash chickens. The European Union simply don't want that, they don't like that, and therefore they exclude it from the European Union production system and for imports of product to the European Union. The difficulty is the UK, I think at some point this year, is going to be faced with a choice that they either prioritise a trade deal with the European Union and lose the United States or else vice versa. And I suppose from an Irish farming point of view, your concern would be that if they choose the United States as the priority, well then that opens the UK market to that and it makes trade and uh, blocks trade uh, in terms of a seamless trading arrangement between Ireland and the UK. You're into trading in WTO terms with all the checks and all the customs tariffs that go with that. And that would have a seriously negative effect, particularly on the beef sector. Dairy sends a lot of our produce to the UK, over half our production. The only thing is we can in the dairy world, we're competitive globally. We can maybe look at other markets there. And we don't have that option in beef. So we would be desperately hoping that the priority for the UK is a trade deal with the European Union and uh, maintenance of the standards and the customs tariffs that have been in place while the UK was a member. Thank you very much indeed, Mr. Fellam O'Neill, International Market Specialist, based for most of the week in Brussels. Thank you, Fellam, very much indeed. Thanks a million. Thank you, John. Dr. Ewan Mullins, Head of Crop Research at Chagask, recently spoke to Farm Talk about various aspects of the tillage sector. This year's National Chagask Tillage Conference on Wednesday, 29th of January 2020, emphasised the importance of sustainability in the sector while minimising risk. The role of science in sustainability and minimising risk would be fundamental into the future. Dr Ewan Mullins, welcome to the programme. Well, hello John, delighted to be on the show. Our research programme in Chagas for uh, tillage is basically driven by stakeholder demands. 
it gives us an opportunity to share our research findings with our stakeholders, which are basically everybody in the tillage sector, farmers, uh, agronomists, sea trade, all the industries and enterprises that are involved. Is This year we've taken on board a lot of the feedback from last year. Theme of your Chagask National Tillage Conference, 29th of January 2020, was sustainability while at the same time minimising risks. Could you amplify on what you would see as the risks to the tillage sector? We're no different to the other sectors in the agri-enterprises up and down the country. There are significant risks. Some of the, the primary risks we have is the removal of chemistries. Um, so in terms of fungicides for controlling diseases in our cereal crops, other issues such as grass weed emergence, um, and then in addition to that, we have viral diseases, uh, BYDV, which is causing a problem. And primarily, one of the main reasons is because we have recent legislation from Europe, which is removing the chemistries that are available to farmers. And while we've never met a farmer who likes to spray, um, it's become a, a key part of our management programs. And we are going to have to start uh, examining that. We have to pivot away from our reliance on chemistries. They are a key part of our programs, um, but our strategies are going to have to be more integrated. Now, the fundamental issue there, of course, is that the varieties that are available at the moment are lacking that level of resistance and strong, um, strong resistance against the diseases that are out there. And that's what Chagas is focused heavily on now, working with European breeders so that we can try and deliver more robust varieties for our farmers. Because it's one thing for Europe to be telling us to remove our chemistries but we need to be able to provide to farmers uh, viable alternatives because ultimately the sector has to be profitable. That is absolutely essential. In addition to that, there's a lot of debate and discussion around cover crops. The recent sustainability report from the government is about increasing the use of cover crops. We have some uh, use of cover crops here in Ireland, but compared to Denmark where they've been growing them on a mandatory basis for over 20 years, they have huge experience the pluses and the minuses, a very objective look at the use of cover crops for promoting sustainable practices, improving soil quality, etc. And then what's going to be key, of course, is the challenge farmers are facing into the spring. We had a very poor autumn. Um, our winter plantings are down over 50%, and farmers are going to have to make some key choices now as to what they're going to put in in the, in the weeks uh, ahead. Basically looking ahead, what are going to be the crop costs and potential returns? At the end of the day, our research has to be through to practice. That's really important. Tillage farmers will have to adapt to the banning, possibly, of glyphosate, the outright banning of CTL, the limitation or banning of neonicotinoids, and many other products probably coming down the line. So those would be the risks in getting effective substitutes for those chemicals. Yeah, exactly. I mean, CTL or chlorotalanol has been kind of the bedrock of our fungicide programmes for for many, many years, um, and we've come to rely on it even more now in the last probably four or five years uh, with the increased appearance of strains of these diseases with resistance to other other active chemistries, whereas there was um, no evidence of resistance to chlorotalanol. So it, it was constantly effective. Uh, as you say, it's been taken off the list. There are two new chemistries, or two new products coming out in the springtime, which will offset the loss of, of CTL. So that. That provides some comfort, but it is going to be very important again that we need to adapt and change and we're going to have to look stronger at IPM-based approaches. Um, as I, we've said before, like, you know, the days of finding a solution in the can, um, they're not going to be around. Um, there will be chemistries available and as an integrated solution, 
they will be very effective. So we've been doing a lot of re, re, research in Oak Park um, in our pathology team, looking at dose responses, trying to get the optimum dose that will deliver the maximum margin for farmers. Of course, even people with no direct connection with farming, they now are aware of uh, buzzwords like neonicotinoids, using those on oilseed rape and the impact on bees. And I think it's been agreed mm. now in general that these neonicotinoids, they do harm the bees' sense of direction and uh, their problem. So like uh, CTL, neonicotinoids and so many products... Uh, coming under suspicion or even outright banning. So scientific advice about which chemicals are now safe to use and they can continue with their enterprise. We're losing chemistries driven by legislative demands and and that's basically the tools in the toolbox are getting fewer and fewer. And yet we are getting um, greater challenges from our environment. I mean, you just look at the last two years and the windows for be it for harvesting or sowing are becoming tighter, more unpredictable um, and the growing seasons. So, again, it comes back to this, this multiple approach strategy where we need multiple different tools in the box to be able to fight the diseases and maintain profitability. And then there's an increased demand for sustainability. But the important thing to remember is that the tillage sector is absolutely key to all the enterprises in the country. The tillage sector underpins the agricultural system in the country um, because all the livestock need to eat plants at the end of the day. And it's very important that we do everything we can and use as many of the tools and and science-led advice to try and ensure that we can maintain the sector uh, and, and expand the sector. It's not just maintaining it. It's expanding because there are huge opportunities there. I mean, we emit the lowest amount of greenhouse gases. We're the most efficient for phosphorus and nitrogen use. Um, and we have the potential to, to really assist other sectors um, in, in promoting sustainability. There's a lot of terms used in the debate on sustainability. And, and we really want to kind of peel back the layers on that. And then what exactly does it mean for the tillage farmer? And what can the tillage farmer do to promote you know, good soil health, uh, good management, um, and and try and tick the boxes that, that are going to need to be ticked in the years ahead. We're launching a new crop report website, which is a, a very important tool for our clients as well. That's being revamped. It's much more interactive and dynamic, and I think that clients are going to see a real benefit with that. VICCI, the Virtual Irish Centre for Crop Improvement, that must be a fascinating site. The VICCI site, Virtual Irish Centre for Crop Improvement. So that. That's basically, uh, uh, the, the Vicky site is uh, a project that it was a, a very large national project that was funded through the Department of Ag. And basically, Vicky was designed to pull together all of the crop research in the country, uh, both from the very strategic research done in the universities all the way through to the, to the, to the applied work that we would do in Chagas, to try and channel it all together into the one focus of addressing a lot of the fundamental questions we have, um, and also identifying new varieties that we can work with breeders across Europe. And that's actually been a great success for all the partners. It's called virtual because, to be, to be honest and frank, we didn't want to invest money in new buildings. We just wanted to invest the money in the research and the people. And we're very fortunate that the department gave the funding for that. Vicky is now has about 12 months left to run on the project. And uh, in Dan Milborn, who's the, the lead on that project, Vicky is, is a, a great example when we get public funding into an initiative and everybody uh, pulls together in one direction, we can make real impact. So it's, it's a very exciting project. 
there's a lot of discussion and debate um, around non-plough versus plough systems. Um, and it's not a black and white system, you know, in terms of people will consider different approaches for, you know, the different soil types and the different farm structures and different management systems that they have. I think what, what's really key for these discussions and for all discussions that we need to have in the sector, sector in the year ahead is going to be flexibility in approaches and considerations because to come back to the original points we talked about, if we're losing chemistries, I mean, one of them that's on the horizon, there's a question mark over glyphosate, that, that's gonna, that would have a fundamental shock on our, on our sector. So we need to be having the, these hard discussions now so that we can be prepared and we can start putting plans in place. Thank you very much indeed, Dr. Ewan Mullins, Head of Crop Research with Chagas. Thank you for your valuable time and patience. Thank you very much indeed. Pleasure, John. Comments from a number of farmers who attended the Chagas 2020 National Tillage Conference are contained on page 17 of this week's Irish Farmers Journal, February 8th. And that's our programme for this morning. I'm John O'Connor. Thanks to John Footon Controls. And as always, thanks to you, the listener, for tuning in. Have an enjoyable weekend. Next, Agri-Update due on this coming Wednesday evening in the midweek edition of the Dairy Golds Farm Talk programme on Wednesday between 10pm and 11 Thanks for listening. Dairy Gold Agri, your solution to all your farm needs. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odour control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.